All right, today is Family Worship Sunday, and what we had talked about way back in January is that we would give a few updates about how things are going with the new building and investing in the next, uh, all those kind of things on Family Worship Sundays. So I'm going to very briefly give you a couple of exciting updates. Uh, Number one, we've started using the new facility, which is just phenomenal and outstanding, and uh, I know that we're asking continued patience as we work out a couple of bugs, but they are actively working on problem-solving various things as we create new rhythms, but it's a beautiful facility, and it did an amazing job uh, for our VBS and week-to-week, so excited about that. Secondly, um, I, I, I was so focused on the prayer time Uh, this morning that I forgot to grab my piece of paper that tells us exactly how much we have given. Uh, But I will say this, I do know this, we are ahead of schedule to meet the pledge amounts halfway through the year, which is something to be very thankful about. Yes, thank you. Thank you to the Lord and for those of you that have been giving. I'll say this too, that because of the gifts that have been given Uh, Since the beginning of January, I checked with uh, Barry Bennett earlier this week, when we did not have to take another draw on the loan at any point because we had cash on hand to finish the theming and everything else that went into the building. So that is exciting as well. And so uh, thank you again for your continued faithfulness to pray and invest in the next, both through prayer, through family, commitment to the Lord, and through serving in our kids' ministry. A second thing I wanted to give you an update on, it's not related to the children's building, but it is related to investing in the next. Our student ministry at the end of last year was so many students were coming that we, I really don't know that if 10 students invited 10 more students to come, if they could have fit in the building on Wednesday nights. They were, adults were having to sit on the stairs and stand in the back because we were out of chairs. And that's after bringing over chairs several times from the LOC during the course of the year. So with that, we are at a point, and we've talked about this before, but just to be clear, that we are at a point where we are excited about taking student ministry under one umbrella and having separated high school and middle school ministries. This is much needed. It's actually something I would have loved to have been able to do even three or so years ago as our group was growing. And just as if you don't understand why, um, I encourage you to go speak in front of a group of sixth graders to 12th graders and try to land a spiritual truth that hits both ends of that spectrum that we can better minister and disciple our kids when we have them in two separate ministries. And so what our leadership, the elders uh, and others have been working on is this. We need a space. Well, our kids just moved into a new building and left vacant uh, the treehouse, the old sanctuary, if you will, up on the hill. Whatever, I'm directionally challenged, wherever that is. And so our plan at this point is this. We are going to house middle school in that treehouse area, and we're going to have high schoolers in our current student ministry building. 
Let me share something else that's very exciting. As we were planning on this, we thought to ourselves, man, we want to make sure that that building doesn't look for middle schoolers like they got demoted back to kids' ministry. So we need to paint and some other things, uh, some new AV stuff to, to update to make that usable. We're looking at probably having to house middle school in that facility at least, this is my best guess and among others, for the next five to six years. We need to pay off the other, this, this building before we could even think about what a next step would be. So as we were praying about this, we realized we have a need. We need to move forward. There's not a lot of extra or any extra budgetary money to do that with. Well, God knows what we need. A family came, not even knowing the need, and just said, can we give a gift that you could apply to the most pressing need of the church? I said, absolutely. And so they sent in a check for $100,000. Praise God. Praise God, yes. So, <laughs> I, I just say, um, the elders met to determine the greatest area of need, and so $90,000 of that gift is going to go to some of the first phases of helping make that a suitable facility for our middle school. That probably may or may not take care of everything that's necessary, but it's going to get us to where they're not going to feel demoted, that they're going to be able to feel. So what you're going to notice is this. Actually, tomorrow, <clears throat> and I know you all may have the loudest round of applause for this, uh, the roof is going to be repaired on that, on, on that chapel uh, as part of that, okay? Um, we can, this is not the time to go into the long-range plans or anything else, but that's, that's an exciting thing. But I'm not a math major, and I know not everybody in here is, but I said a gift of 100. Well, what happened to the other 10? We took $5,000 and gave it to a great and pressing need on for our Southeast Asia missionary team. And we took another $5,000 for a great need in our West Africa missionary team. And so what I've told this family, what I wanted to celebrate today is this. By their responding to whatever God prompted them, they answered a need through the Lord's prompting on three continents. Is that not amazing? That is amazing to me. Speaking, speaking of the, the West Africa team, that, that, that money is going to go, uh, our partner there that's actually hosting our team, and we're so thankful for he and his family this week, is they are trying to equip, the, if you will, the Bush pastors they have no formal training, and they are seeking in very difficult places, dangerous places for them to be a believer outside of the city in the bush, to give them further uh, ability to equip and train more pastors as they seek to plant churches in unreached people groups. And so that was the blessing is how it's going to be used there. And so just wanted to give you that update that if you see the roof being repaired, um, that's wise because we have a great need for our middle schoolers over there. And I'll also say this, we are still in the process of searching for our lead student pastor. And I would ask you to pray 
uh, because our elder team has now had two interviews with a candidate that we are very excited about. We don't want to count any eggs before they hatch, as they say. But be in prayer that God would give us wisdom and discernment as we seek to find whether that is the right, the right person, and if not, that God would lead us to that right person in his time. But I am excited. God is doing so many amazing things as we choose to invest the gospel in the next, both children and youth, and into the unreached areas. All right, that's my update. I'm excited about those things. And with the time I have remaining, I am going to seek to share a message from 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5. This is the story of Elisha healing the leper Naaman, if you're familiar with that story. If you're not, then I'm excited that I get to be the one to share that with you. This story, as it's part of our Staff Picks Old Testament Edition series, this story became one of my favorite stories probably even seven or eight years ago as I was sitting down and we were reading from our family uh, kids, kids' Bible, reading that to our children. And in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which was the, happened to be the one we were using at the time, it illustrated this particular story in a way that just gripped me even as an adult, and it has become one of my favorite stories. And so I look forward to sharing that with you today, and I hope maybe it will become one of your meaningful passages from the Old Testament as well. The entire text that we're going to look at today is 2 Kings 5, 1 to 19. I'm only going to read verses 1 through 5 to to start us, and then I'll explain the rest, and you can read the rest at a later date to, to check me and to go over the details. But 2 Kings 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, meaning the king, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So this first five verses helps establish the, one of the main characters, if you will, of this passage. Now, I believe I have that timeline that I used a few weeks ago just to help you land where this is happening. I'd like to show that up here. So again, you've got creation, the patriarchs, the exodus, the conquest, the judges, which is what we looked at with Gideon last week. And now we are in the season of the kingdom. Okay, so we're right there where that crown is before the exile, which we talked about with Ezekiel a few weeks ago, but after the judges. So now David has started as the king, um, and he's had children, and you've had prophets. You had first Elijah who then passed the mantle as prophet to Elisha. And those could not have been more similar uh, of names. 
God, you know, why, why make that so confusing? But it is what it is. And so we are in with the prophet Elisha, S-H-A at the end. And so he is in this period of the kings and the kingdoms. Now what's happened here as well in the kingdoms is that God's people and the kings were not always faithful. I know this is a shocker, but not always faithful to God's commands. And there was a schism that took place. There is a northern kingdom and there is a southern kingdom. Now, when you're reading through the book of Kings, just as a point of interest, one of the first kings named Jeroboam began and set up a place of worship and false worship outside of Jerusalem. Why that is important is God said, you will worship me where I determine you to worship. And Jeroboam said, no, we're going to do it somewhere else. And so when you read about the kings, many times it will say, and this king fell into the sin of Jeroboam. What it means is they did not acknowledge God's designated place of worship and chose their own. Whether they were worshiping him or an idol, it was sin because it was against what God had said. And so this is the ongoing back and forth of some kings returning things to Jerusalem, others going in the way of Jeroboam. And the people not responding to the prophets. That all will come together in a few moments. So, in these first five verses, uh, we'll see our very first point, if you're there in your life point outline, which is this. There are no small parts, only small actors. You may, if you've been in drama, uh, stage drama at any point in your life, you have probably heard that phrase. There are no small parts, only small actors. There was a, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name, but there was a Russian uh, playwright and, and acting director that made this quote, and he's sort of the, the father of modern acting is what they say. And the point is this. Everybody wants to be the lead role have the spotlight on them, the most lines. But what this, what this director was trying to say is every part is important to the overall story. And in this passage, actually all the way through 1 through 19, here is a little thing not to overlook. The main character is always God, but in this particular case, if you're talking about a human character, seems to be Naaman. But there is a small role of a, of a servant girl, an unnamed servant girl in this passage. Now I want you to think about this. She has been captured from a raid from her home, is now away from her family, away from her home, serving Naaman, the captain of the king's army that led that raid. She serves his wife. She could have been bitter. She could have been happy that Naaman was a leper, but instead, instead, she chose to plead with her mistress, oh, if Naaman would go and see the prophet in Samaria, he could be healed. That one conversation that one small part, if you will, 
is the impetus for the rest of the story. And here's, I'm going to summarize the rest of the story. Naaman goes to the king. you got to imagine he is looking for any and every available answer to his leprosy issue, a skin disease. And he goes to the king and says, I've got a servant girl from Israel who's telling me there's a prophet in, in Samaria, which was part of one of the kingdoms, that can heal me. And the king says, I will write you a letter and you can take it to their king and I'll give you whatever you need. He comes with an incredible amount of basically payment for this. Uh, you can read it. It's about so many shekels of silver and gold and extra pairs of clothes and all these things. And so he goes as a politician from one court of politics to the other. And he shows up at the king of Israel's house and says, here's my letter. And the letter, as the king opens it, is not we would like to engage in peace. It is my servant Naaman has leprosy. Will you please heal him? And the king stands and goes, this is a trap. I can't do this. They're setting me up to fail. They are setting me up to provoke them to war. When I say I can't heal Naaman, we're going to go to war because I could not meet this demand. And so the king tears his robe in anguish. The only time I've actually seen this in a modern context, which was just kind of funny to me, was when I was in Mississippi and it was actually the day that I announced to the church there that I was coming here. Uh, we had a, 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 this, some twin boys that had gone all the way through youth group with me, and they were happy for me. But on the way after the service, one of them walking was just upset, grabbed his polo shirt, and ripped it in half, just upset. And the twin was standing there looking at him, and he said, dude, that was my shirt. That's the only time I've heard of it. But in Bible days, it was a sign and a symbol of great grief to rend your garments. And news that the king has rended his garments spreads through the rumor mill like wildfire because now the people are on edge. What does this mean? Are we in danger? But Elisha hears that the king has rended or torn his robes because of this request. And Elisha says, send him to me and I'll heal him so that they will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now what he's saying is this, so that they will know that there is a true prophet of the one and only God in Israel. So word gets to Naaman and he goes and he comes to Elisha's home and makes, and he's got the entire entourage with him. And Elisha sends a servant outside to tell him, to tell Naaman what to do. Doesn't even come out himself. And so the servant, another servant, small part, but important, comes out and says, this is what the servant of the Lord said. Go down to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times and you'll be healed. Y'all have a great day. And go, I mean, that's sort of the indication is he goes inside. And Naaman hearing this is furious. He actually says, as he's storming off in rage, the Scripture says, I really thought, and what he's saying is this, I thought I was an important enough person that at least Elisha would come out 
and do some sort of hand-waving magical thing to heal me. All he asked me to do is go take a bath. Do we not have better, cleaner rivers in Syria than here? And so he is leaving angry, like entourage, this way, we're going back home. Another servant comes to Naaman on the road. you got to imagine, this is one of the most powerful men of his country. And a servant walks up and says something to the effect of, you're really not going to even give it a try? It's a pretty simple request. I mean, what, what could it hurt? I don't understand why we're leaving. We came here for an answer. We got an answer. It's not the one you wanted. Just trying to connect the dots, sir, you know, as we're planning this voyage. And so somewhere in there, Naaman calms down and says, you know what? We're here. We've made this journey. We don't know from the text whether he does it willingly, out of begrudging. Like, you can almost imagine him. It says he's got to dip seven times to go fully under the water. One, see? Still leprous. Two, we got better rivers. Three, this was a waste of time. We could already be halfway home by now. Four, over and over. And then when he dipped the seventh time and came up out of the water, the Scripture says his skin was like that of a child. And then Naaman did know that there was a prophet, that there was a God in Israel. And so he went back to Elisha's house. And Elisha came out this time. And Naaman says this, I now know that there is a God in Israel. And then Naaman goes on to say, I will worship him and him alone. He says, can I give you payment? I brought all this stuff. And Elisha says, no, this was a gift of the Lord. And so then Naaman says, well, can I at least take a whole bunch of dirt from the Holy Land, if you will? Because I want to take dirt from here so that I may build an altar in Syria to worship Yahweh alone. My only request, Elisha, is this. My boss is still a pagan, and he's going to require me to go into a pagan temple do you think God could forgive me in advance for having to go in there? My heart belongs to Yahweh, but my job's going to require me to go into another area. Now, that is a weird thing for us. I just, just full disclosure. But Elisha says to him, go in peace. Go in peace. There are no small parts, only small actors. Here's the, the insight here. God can use a small act of obedience to make a big impact on someone. And what I'm simply suggesting is this. When you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And if the Holy Spirit prompts you to have a conversation or to send a text of encouragement or a scripture, or to invite someone to your home, don't think, well, what can that possibly do? 
See, small actors are those that think there's parts that are beneath them. That servant girl had one conversation, and Naaman's life was changed. Naaman's servant himself had one timid rebuke, and it changed Naaman's life. Elisha's servant just carried a message that was not received well at the time, but played a role in his ultimate healing. There are no small acts of obedience that God can't use in a big way in someone's life. That's an encouragement to me. There are times when I feel like, what am I even doing? I mean, how can I even help? Small acts of obedience, big impact in our God's hand. The second point is this. And I just realized my countdown still has time, but we don't have time. Let me run through it really fast. Number two, get out of your own way. Quickly, I'll just say this. Naaman about self-sabotaged himself because God's plan didn't look like his plan. He was frustrated. Well, I could have figured this out better. Why didn't I have magic arm-waving Elisha do something? Why can't I go dip in my own rivers? Get out of your own way sometimes. His ways are higher than our ways. The insight here is this. Our greatest need is for God to heal our inner leprosy. Naaman had physical outer leprosy, but what he had on the inside was pride. I'm too important to just go down to some Israel river and dip. I should have something more. Healing was available. He had to get out of his own way. The, the second insight would be this. A good question to ask is, Lord, what are you up to in this? See, the king of Israel didn't stop and ask, what could God be up to in this? He immediately went to, we're going to war. It's over. They've provoked us. I'm trapped. It's over. Naaman, instead of asking, what could God be up to in this request? Just ask, why me? Why not my way? Why am I being disrespected? The better question when we have things that we don't understand is, God, what are you up to in this? It's a question I've asked this week with our team in Niger. God, what are you up to? Because my first question is, why? Why is this happening? Why can't we get them back? Why couldn't this have happened next week? Why couldn't it have happened the week before? But the question is, a better question, God, what are you up to in this? And then lastly, there is a prophet in Israel. Elisha is a forerunner and a foreshadowing of Christ himself. In fact, Jesus in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 27, mentions this encounter. He's sitting in the synagogue and he's read the scroll of Isaiah and he says, this has been fulfilled here in your hearing and the people are, aren't you Joseph's son? They're minimizing, they're trying to, they're trying to label Jesus what they want to label him. And he says this, Elijah, in his day, there was a famine and there were a lot of widows who were hungry in Israel. But Elijah only went to the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile nation. And he says, and there were a lot of lepers in Israel in Elisha's day, but only Naaman was healed. And what he was saying is this. If we will not accept Jesus for who he is, 
then he will go to those who will. And for the people of Israel, they were so closed, they did not understand that since the beginning, God had been saying, I'm going to graft in the nations. But out of their own refusal to acknowledge that, Paul would say, Israel has been cut off for a period of time, and the nations, the Gentiles, are grafted in to faith. And Naaman was a forerunner. And if you're not Jewish here today, as I am not, we are grafted in because we have accepted that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who can forgive sins, the one who is the Savior, the one that every knee will bow down to, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, and we are grafted in. The point is this, don't put Jesus in a box like Naaman tried to do with Elisha. He's got to look exactly how I think he should look. Jesus says, you're probably not going to see many miracles like I and he was in his hometown. That was the point. I'm not going to do many miracles here because you're trying to define things on your terms. All this to say as we close, we have a role to play in God's redemptive narrative. But it's never going to be on our terms. We may play a small role here, a small role there in people's lives, God may create circumstances in our lives that we might first knee-jerk reaction, why me? But he's really saying, well, you just ask what I'm up to here. And then we don't try to define Jesus outside of how he has defined himself. There is a prophet in Israel, and his name is Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for us. Thank you for your time and your patience, and I pray that this has been an encouragement to you. As a reminder, we'll take our regular offering in the bags. If you'd like to give towards the Najir help, um, you can do that in the mission box by the door. Let me pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are in control, that your ways are higher than our ways. Um, we actually need to take comfort in that because our ways are so futile, so short-sighted. Lord, help us to be obedient to the small gestures that you would have us to make, small parts to make big impact in people's lives. Help us to uh, accept and get out of our own way and ask, what are you up to in this situation? And may we only worship the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great afternoon.